Hi, and welcome to the Fertility Warriors podcast. I'm Robin Birkin, and I am so grateful and honored that you're here today. From my own journey with infertility and loss to becoming a mind-body practitioner and holistic fertility coach, it is my sincere hope that I can help make your journey to conceive lighter, more supported, and easier by sharing deep emotional well-being guidance, doable conception tips, and real talk about what infertility and loss looks like. I'm here with you every step of the way. Now let's begin. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Fertility Warriors. I cannot believe that we have nearly 200 episodes here already. What started as a podcast that someone said to me one day, you should start a podcast. And then I went, okay. And I did it. (laughs) It has now become 200 episodes and several years later. And today it is my sincere pleasure to welcome a man to the podcast for only the second time, which full disclosure, I wish we had more men on the podcast. So I'm absolutely thrilled and it's not for want of trying everyone, but today we're welcoming Russell Davis to the podcast and he's going to talk about his story, but we're talking a little bit about a male's perspective of infertility and kind of the head fuck of male factor infertility. He is a hypnotherapist and a coach from the UK and we're going to get deep and we're going to chat and I love Russell's style. So hi, Russell. Hi, Robin. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So I've looked at your story. We collaborated on the Feel Better Weekend. So probably lots of our listeners have already heard you speak and know a little bit about you and your story, but let's start from the beginning for everyone who doesn't know anything about you. And probably the place that I want to start is that you kind of went into your marriage thinking that children may never be a thing. Yeah. My wife and I, at the time, were both heavily involved in children's work and youth work. My wife was a full-time youth worker. I was doing voluntary youth work. So children and young people were a really big part of our lives. We knew we possibly couldn't have our own children because my mm. wife had diagnosed with PCOS as a teenager. And we thought we were okay with that, thinking it's fine, we can foster and adopt. There's plenty of kids out there who need love yeah. that we can give that love to. So we thought we were completely okay with it, going to marriage. And a couple of years after, you know, very quickly after, after getting married, my wife decided she wanted to look after her health in a more natural, more holistic way, especially her condition. Because all she was getting was strong and stronger medication from the GP, and she thought there must be a better way of doing this. We met a gynecologist across the bridge between kind of Western and Eastern kind of medicine. And he was brilliant. He just, for the first time, she was being treated as a whole person yeah. rather than one looking at one different part of her body. Um, from mind, body and spirit perspective as well, it was just a breath of fresh air. Mm. And he believed that actually possibly she was misdiagnosed because PCOS is quite a complex condition. Um, there's no reason why she couldn't have a full cycle and actually at some point in the future have a baby. So it took a number of years to get her health back in track and get her cycle uh, going again. But yeah, after a number of years, she there's no reason why she couldn't have children. Um, and so it's I see this from clients a lot of the time that they it's almost like they start off and they feel like they they'd be at peace. They feel like their life is peachy keen, everything's fine. But when there's that spark of you know parenthood with your own, I guess, biology or, you know, how you think it's going to happen with 
you know, the way that people have been doing it since caveman time, when there's that spark, that's when I feel like it just becomes like really hard and you enter the head fuck of infertility and trying to conceive. I think, so. I think it's that sense of possibility. It's actually a possibility we can actually consider this. I think up to then we've been trying to protect ourselves from the, from yeah. the disappointments. It's that yeah. kind of whole thing about that fear is probably most of my clients have this fear of disappointment. And we're trying to not go there, don't get your hopes up, just don't go there, you know. And that continues all the way through the journey. We they suddenly had this whole yeah. grieving process to go through that actually, when I first we thought it was possibility, suddenly the excitement is there, the great we can. And then we try for about a year, then nothing's happening. They found out I was infertile. No one questioned my fertility up to that point. And that's when the grief really hits in. And, yeah. and really kind of kicks in and and then you go you continue the journey you get these hopes these kind of false dawns and be trying to protect yourself from disappointment and you're trying to manage your i guess experience in a way because it is an emotional roller coaster you're trying to protect yourself from the deep lows yeah um but i think i think we can't in the end of the day we can't really protect ourselves from thoughts and feelings you've got to let them come and go like just like like the weather so a year, at the point of getting to a fertility clinic, a year of trying to conceive, were you a hot mess express to get, like collectively? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and it's like because this is we didn't get to the clinic because my wife had a number of years her journey. We, we, no, we weren't going to the clinic at that point. Working privately as gynecologist, mm. and that, that was all good. Then we tried for a year, and then we referred to the clinic. Yeah, it's like oh my god, it's like. And then it's so quickly we've gone from it's a possibility to, oh, no, maybe only ICSIs, not, not even IVF, only ICSIs. We've gone from really high, we can do this naturally, to, you know, to actually on this kind of roundabout of yeah. kind of treatment and, 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 and ICSIs, and then only slight possibility with that. It was a whole different world. And the whole thing about, you know, we you know, go get referred to a fertility clinic. The problem's clearly with me at that point. We get referred to a fertility clinic, and I'm talking to a gynecologist. Yeah, and at that point, I never heard of angiologist, and I, even mm. now I talk to people at angiologist. Who is that? It's well, it's a doctor of male fertility. It's like, why don't men get to speak to a doctor of male fertility? And <laughs> yeah, and even then, sitting the appointment, the conversation was mostly talking to my he was talking to my wife, not so to me as it were. It's almost yeah. as if the men are just a, a byproduct. When it comes to fertility treatments, mm. obviously most of the treatments, most of the impact, most of the focus is on the, the woman, and it feels like the man is just a just do your bit and that's all you need to do. Yeah. It feels, yeah, very disjointed and very kind of feminine focused when you get to that stage of fertility clinic. So full disclosure, you get there at, you know, the, your first like month, two months at the fertility clinic. Did you still a little bit think that it was maybe something going on with your wife and not you? No, I think the test was so clear. <laughs> there oh, no, so, so like so. before you got the test. So when you're when you're like, oh, we need to. Oh, see, yes, yeah. When we're trying for that year, yeah. When we're trying for that year, absolutely. I'm thinking, well, I never, never questioned my fertility. Yeah. Never thought for me. Never crossed my mind. It was okay. Maybe there's still something else with there. Maybe, yeah, yeah absolutely. And then, oh, and then the, the gynecologist we're working with, he he'd been scanning my wife. He knows my wife's fertility inside out. He said, maybe we should, you know, get you a test. I think, yeah, fine, no problem. Never, never again thought it would come back the way it did. And then it came back in a low across the board. It was just a complete shock. It was just, yeah, it was like being kicked in the stomach. So then when you got your test results, were you like a codfish with your mouth on the floor? (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I just couldn't believe it. And, but then, and because because at that point we hadn't gone to the clinic, we were working with this kind of private gynecologist, and and he he went, he, he sorted my test. And even though he's a gynecologist, he, you know, he he's a specialist in kind of um, Chinese traditional medicine, and he became a friend at that point. We worked with him for like eight years at that point, you know. And he said he was very very positive about it. He said, "Look, it's, it's not good news, but there's plenty we can do." in this space and he said look for three months we're going to focus on improving he was internally kind of positive so he was help help me pick me up off the floor and said come on let's don't give up yet there's things we can do and he put me in a program of all sorts of things acupuncture you know herbs and taking a bucket full of huge pills every morning mm-hmm. like, like sure. one. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> doing all sorts of things wearing baggy pants and a baggy underwear you know yeah. all sorts of things to try and improve my fertility. So for those three months, I, I just focused on that. It was like a project. Yeah. I can do this. We can do this. Yeah. I did actually kind of think for four months and then got the test result after that. It got slightly worse. <laughs> it's got even, even slightly worse than before. I was doing all that yeah. effort at work. And that's when I kind of head fuck kicked in. That's when it really yeah. was, oh my God, okay, there's nothing I can do about this. I can't, I can't do anything. We're, we're literally in the hands of the clinic. It felt very disempowering. It mm-hmm. felt okay. And it did feel like the end of the road almost. Okay, you know, ICSI, do you want to go through ICSI? You know, is it possible? The clinic saying, well, it might be possible. And it was that whole kind of thing that was really hitting the kind of, my wife started going through a grieving process at that point, yeah. thinking, you know, this is probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I did my own kind of, kind of psychological journey. And it that was really kind of the beginning of a whole my personal development journey. It's the beginning mm-hmm. of me having spiritual awakening about realizing I've been, I'll be happy when kind of mentality for life, chasing the next thing to be happy. I was a people pleaser. Actually, it was, it was me recognizing I wasn't truly content in life. Yeah. And that was a real kind of sense of brutal honesty that I had everything I thought I wanted and needed to be happy. The good job, the good career, the house, the wife, the car. But the next thing was the baby. I thought I needed a baby to be happy. Yeah. And it was a real whole questioning, a lot of stuff had my childhood and dominating beliefs I had. And I did this whole kind of, I call Project You versus Project Baby journey. I wouldn't use that language back then, but I did my own kind of my own kind of journey. Um, yeah, and I think that's what the thing made the difference because, long and short of it, we got pregnant naturally against all odds. Um, having done my own kind of journey, made some major changes to my life, resigned from the job I wasn't enjoying, and started living true to myself more rather than living the life others expect of me. We're still under the clinic, exploring the clinic, and exploring ICSI. Um, then my wife got pregnant naturally. We weren't even trying. There's no point trying, you know, we're told. One in a billion chance it happened naturally. So I did another test and it was near normal. And I just couldn't believe the difference that it happened. We haven't tried to make a difference. But I think the more you fall into a more healthy psychological state, my body falls into a more healthy state. So it was a, such an emotional roller coaster. Um, yeah. Like, here's some hope, take it away. Here's some hope, take it away. <laughs> Okay, when we got that first, we got that, we also got that final positive test result. We couldn't believe it. You know, I remember we, 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 rang, we rang this kind of gynecologist. It's like seven o'clock in the evening. We've got a test result, positive test result. And he said, oh, I'm out for dinner at the moment. Come round, come round to the house. You know, he's had a clinic in his house. You know, in, in about an hour I'll be home. And he did you know, five other tests, and all positive. So he said, I'll take a blood test. We'll get that done. Oh, you know, still don't yeah. believe it. You know, the next day I got the blood test. I was like, yes, it's, it's positive. I still don't want to believe it. I just didn't want to get the hopes up. And he did a very early scan because he was a sonographer as well. He did a very early scan. And that's when I started to believe, okay, maybe this is really happening. Yeah. Uh, 
But you still, yeah, it's that fear of disappointment. You don't want to get your hopes up because you yeah. get so many false dawns along the journey. Yeah. So let's talk about almost, I guess, males when there's male factor infertility. So you've had your second test. You're like, well, I did the 90 days. I've worn baggy pants. I haven't put my computer on my lap, whatever, whatever. I've done it. And now here's my wife, like here's my wife, I'm guessing like grieving, crushed. What are you, like what are you thinking then like about everything? What's your kind of thought pattern? What are some of the thoughts that are going around in yeah. your head? The main one was, was guilt. Mm. Yeah. My fault that she would never... At the time, thinking there'd never been a mother that I felt she was destined to be. You know, she just loved children. She used to work in a boarding school, looking after a house with teenage girls. It was just it was naturally what she did. I just felt complete guilt that it was now mm. my fault and fear, fear that you know, would she? I didn't think consciously, but back in my mind, would she leave? And you know, would this be a thing that is too big for her? That you know, yeah. um, not that you know, I really didn't consciously I don't think we did but that was a little bit back in my mind that fear is guilt yeah shame that I felt less of a man so not many other men knew about it I didn't mean to tell many people but there was the, that shame I compared myself to other mm -hmm. men internally and the shame that I yeah I felt less of a man to, to all of the men and you know, I think actually, that, you know, looking back, I think there's elements of that going on anyway. I felt insecure in myself generally. Mm -hmm. I'm a bit of a people pleaser and didn't feel a bit of imposter syndrome in life. And here was some more evidence to back me up that, you know, mm -hmm. I wasn't as good or worthy as other, as other people, other men. So a lot of things, yeah, shame, guilt, fear. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know that so many men who would be listening to this would be like, Poor, yes, that's how I'm feeling. So we'll come back to project your project you in a moment, but I kind of wanted to skip ahead at this moment to in that time you've had project you, you've trained as a hypnotherapist, you now train other hypnotherapists. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell Russell back then? Great question. And I think, yeah, I do believe what we know now, back then it wouldn't have been a 10-year journey at all because we can see how much, yeah, it was emotional stuff. It was our psychological stuff mm -hmm. impacting our fertility. I think if I was back with him, having got that, got that test result, going through that journey, I think it's about helping him see what he got, I got to that space over a longer period of time through this psychological journey. It's going to kind of project your journey. I think it would have been that, Life doesn't work outside in. Nothing makes yeah. you feel happy. Having a baby will not make you feel happy. If you think having a baby will make you feel happy, make you feel purposeful, that presupposes all parents live a happy, purposeful life. It's a misunderstanding. You're looking in the wrong place for that happiness. And to look within and realize I'm a powerful creator. I can create an inspired life. And it may be not what I expect. Again, expectations, that's the thing. I couldn't realize how much I was living life expectations. Living as a kid, you know, living to my parents' expectations, 
linked to society's expectations. And my expectation was, well, the next thing is to be, you know, to have children that will make us happy. And that's the outside inness and and helping that me realize I'm looking in the wrong place for everything I want in life. Let go of expectations um, and start living more inside out and recognizing who I really am and not trying to find the external evidence to, 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 to prove who I am, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also, not using fear as facts like oh god yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) using fear using my imagination as facts so i I can force slip into that from time to time now but back then very much i thought it's quite a logical intelligent thinker a good thing i was overthinker i worried i was an overthinker but i thought my it was was a superpower i thought it was really keeping me safe Mm -hmm. and making wise decisions but not realizing it's all just imagination um, but I thought it was my wisdom. I, I didn't realise I had a different wisdom, an inner wisdom, an intuition, instinct, which is somewhere deep yeah. within us. And I was so disconnected from that. And I thought my overthinking was like a, a useful tool and, and facts. And I, I'm sure this is going to happen. I know it's going to happen. My, I've worked it out, but it's just pure imagination because nothing can predict the future. And fear yeah. is all future thinking and nothing can predict the future, despite what my thinking said and how plausible and realistic it is. It's yeah. still a misuse of imagination. Fear is the misuse of imagination. I think yeah. actually that's the biggest thing I've learned over the years and wish I learned that earlier. That the stuff in my head, it's just noise. It's just thought. It may be plausible, maybe realistic, but it's not worth a second thought. We have a yeah. deeper guidance mechanism. Our intuition, our instinct is not our thinking in our head. It doesn't come with a strong emotion. It comes with a still, soft voice of quiet in this space between thoughts. Yeah. I had no space in my head. I had such a busy mind. I had no space to really hear that, that mm. deeper inner wisdom. Um, and I can really relate to the journey that you've been on. I think sometimes it's almost like we're continuing our lives in this low level of anxiety and this low level of things not being right. And then it takes almost like a crisis for us to go wake up and be like, hang on, what? So this isn't right in my life. And I, like reading your story, I was like, I'm the eldest child. So I was like, I'm going to be an exchange student and go to Japan, check with a scholarship. I'm going to get a, I'm going to have a, I was offered multiple scholarships at university for Japanese as a result. And I turned many of them down because I didn't want to live in Japan because I just did that. I had a boyfriend who turned into my husband, but I, you know, I did two degrees at university, graduated with distinction, was like career. Yes, do it all have to do this and then it was like this pressure of I'm the one that has to deliver the babies the grandchildren okay and this whole this thing of being like I've got to make my parents proud like I've got to be the one that is the successful one in life but then now many years later I'm like actually I can just do what makes me happy and be successful in my own right for whatever I want to do (laughs) Hi, and thank you so much for listening today. This is Robin, and today's episode is brought to you by a new masterclass that I have launched, and I feel like it's going to be a game changer for anyone who would like more tools to navigate infertility, loss, and trying to conceive emotionally. I feel like it's also a lot of stuff that nobody's really talking about. The masterclass is called Three TTC Myths That Are Keeping You Anxious and Stressed. 
we're going to talk all about how to cope emotionally through infertility and loss and what to do instead so that you can finally step out of that muddy fog of infertility, of endless cycles of hope and grief so that you can reclaim your journey and your life. You can rediscover yourself and feel like the old you again in an easier, quicker and make your life more awesomer way. So to join me on this masterclass, head to robinburkin.com slash masterclass. It's free to attend. It'll take you about an hour. And like I said, I feel like it's some strategies that are not only easier than what most people are telling you when they give you a flick of the wrist and say, try a guided meditation, or when they give you things like just relax or just take a holiday, we're going to talk about the things that actually matter, the myths that are keeping you stressed and anxious, and the easier strategies that really do help people cope emotionally with trying to conceive loss and infertility. To learn more, go to robinburkin.com slash masterclass. Okay, Let's get back into the episode. Yeah, it's that kind of recognizing that we're loved unconditionally. And obviously, you know, in, in the human experience, often we don't experience unconditional love because no one is perfect. You know, our parents aren't perfect the way they are. They, they love us unconditionally. But as a child, our experience of that is sometimes we experience it might be contaminated by conditions unconsciously mm-hmm. and, and, and unknowingly. Um, and, you know, we grew up in quite a Christian environment. They taught, of, you know, it was an Anglo-Catholic environment, so they taught of God about a God of unconditional love. But I felt these conditions. I saw these rituals, these conditions, and there's the idea of there being an energy behind life that is unconditionally loving. That I'm loved for who I am was such an alien concept, and that's that kind of oh, is that the same as you always trying to prove my worthiness? That's why I was a people pleaser, proving I was lovable, I was likable. I was worthy to be a friend, you know, rather than actually the idea of someone loving me for who I am. You know, I spent 17 years in a career, actually part of my project year, in, in the midst of in, infertility, I left this, walked away from this career thinking it's just not me. I had no idea what I wanted to do because I've lived this outside in this, trying to get people to like me and please me, thinking about what do they want? What, what do I want in life? What do I want? What does my soul want? And walking out from that, career, I felt losing my security, I guess I guess a financial security, but also my sense of identity being tied up into that. Because I didn't know who I was. This this kind of constant yeah. trying to achieve or, or or meet expectations or be who I thought I should be, I didn't know who I really was. And that's why I think the essence that kind of project you is just knowing you're okay. You can be you, yeah. you know. Yeah. For years I prayed to God, you know, just tell me what you want me to do. I'll do anything in the world. I'll be a youth worker. I'll give a missionary. I'll give up my career. I'll do anything. Nothing, nothing. Silence, silence, silence. And I never got silent prayer. And it's because I had so much in my head, so much noise in my head. We're going to slow that down. I really got, I felt I got an answer to that prayer. It was just be you. I've, yeah. I've created you with so many kind of talents, gifts, passions, uniqueness. We're all unique. Just be you. I'm thinking, no, no, it must be easy now. If you just tell me what it is, I can't get it wrong. Again, it's that fear of failure, fear of being judged, rather yeah. than just just be you. Yeah. And and I think that's what it is about, just being knowing it's okay to be us. Mm. And we're powerful creators. We can create a life that inspires us in all sorts of ways. And it's this busy mind has locked on to what he thinks it needs to be content, to be secure, to be happy, whether it is the promotion, whether it's the car, whether it's the baby, it locks onto the next thing. 
that may feel good for a while where we got it, but then it's the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. So we're yeah. looking outside of us for that place of fulfillment and, and security within us, which we're born with. We're born yeah. with good toddlers. They don't chase things. They just know they're content, but they create amazing things. They learn to walk and learn to talk, mm-hmm. but from a place of knowing they're okay. Yeah. And there's this, we, you know, we grow up with this perception, this like checklist of what success looks like. And then you have this, I guess, awakening that you're like, does that, is that really what success looks like? <laughs> I don't know if totally. that looks like what I want. <laughs> I see that in my client, you know, most of my clients are women because women are more like to get kind of psychological mm. support. Yes. But I see that in my clients. Also, I see it in men as well, that there's a sort of chasing what we think we need to be secure. And, and a lot of them are very success in life. It's the career and everything else. They have a goal, they focus on it, and they tend to achieve it. Then it's yeah. the next thing, the next thing. But that kind of approach doesn't work for fertility because you can't control yeah. your fertility. Also, that approach is also unconsciously fueled by fear. It's the fear of not achieving it. And that striving, again, is fueled by fear. But you don't need to strive to succeed. You actually succeed at far greater ease and well-being without the striving. And I think with men as well, there's an added thing about they're more competitive. So they put more pressure mm. on themselves. So it can be a bit more comparison and more competitive yeah. in nature. I, I guess that's the kind of, sadly, that, you know, in a living, in the patriarchy we have, it can be quite a competitive world, especially in the world of work, which, and you know, women are trying to compete in a masculine way when actually we need to fe- celebrate feminine energy and have more feminine leadership um in this world um so obviously there can be toxic masculinity which puts more pressure on men to be a certain way and not Mm. as you know not express their emotions and bury their emotions and so this fear and anxiety just gets gets buried rather than actually spoken about and dealt with yep so and also striving in the fertility sense can also be counter what do you call it counter Counterintuitive or counter-effective. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I completely agree. That's striving because it's built upon fear. And I see so many women, couples and men, me and I did it for that four months, doing everything they can to try mm. and improve their fertility. Is that fear of not doing that one thing that makes a difference. And I always say it's not what you do, it's why you do it. If you're doing something from a place of fear, then unconsciously you'll be feeding that fear. Because mm. it's coming from a place of fear. I did all, I, I believe those things I did in those four months, I do believe they can make a big difference to our health and well-being and, and fertility and including male fertility. I still use acupuncture in my life today. I still, you know, take herbs occasionally. Those stuff is great things to do. But I was doing it from a place of fear. So yeah. it was striving, it was fear. So it have been feeding that fear. It's like a, I'm not a big fan of affirmations because I think often they feed the, the, the parvus doesn't really believe it. Mm. And I think it's what thing, things from a place of fear can often do. And I say to, to, to people that, you know, what if you just stop doing everything and just do what inspires you? Take a yeah. bit of a break. You might come back to those things, but if you're doing it from a place of fear, if it feels like it's heavy or, or you know, you think you should be doing it, then stop doing it. You know, the psychological impact will be more negative impact than any positive benefit or that thing you're doing. Um, you know, yeah. people it's get pregnant when they have an occasional glass of wine. People get pregnant, yeah. they feel stressed at times. You know, it's not, we don't need to be this Zen Buddhist monk to yes. get pregnant that we think we need to be. Yes, it's so much more about a balance. And I don't, I think we really underestimate the impact that our psychological health can have on our physiological health because, like, our psychological, it's, all of our hormones are like basically start in our brains. <laughs> so 
So if our brain's not right, then like it cascades down to all the hormones. All of the hormones kind of come from all these same building blocks. So it's all, we, you know, it's not even like psychological health and physiological health. It's health. health. Yeah, so we talk about the mind-body link, but actually yeah, the mind-body are one system. You know, it is one system. And I say that, you know, you know, you know, psychological absolutely can impact the physical. And I've seen that in my own life. I've seen hundreds of clients. But I'd say it's say not people worry about being stressed. I'd say, but it's, stress itself doesn't impact you physiologically. And research has proved that stress itself doesn't impact you physiologically. If you're stressed about being stressed, no, that does impact you. Because if you just allow the if you notice your stress and have nothing around it, no fear about it, no attachment to it, no, it's called being human. It just moves on more naturally. It doesn't have a hold on you. It doesn't impact you so way. It moves through like kind of weather system. If we get stressed about being stressed, that almost locks it in. We're layering it up. We've got stress. Now we're stressed about being stressed. Now we're worried about we can't move it on. Now we're worried about the impact of our fertility. And there's fear. And we just stack it up with more and more stuff and it locks it in. And yes, that impacts our body. Because our body can cope with short moments of stress that come and go. That's yeah. how it's designed to, to deal with that kind of stuff. It's not designed with that kind of more, more sustained stress, which comes from the fear of being stressed or the fear of being anxious. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not the, the thought or the feeling itself. It's our relationship with it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So tell me about how Project You started. What was the light bulb moment <laughs> and what was like the first one or two things that you then did? I want to know the starting point. The starting point was me waking up one morning. So this is after my diagnosis. We've been referred to the clinic. We may have been to the clinic once or twice. We haven't started any treatments. And we're in this kind of head fuck off. Excuse my language, but this kind of, you know, um, as as it is on this fertility journey. And my wife started going through this grieving process. And I said I was angry, but wasn't really feeling angry. And I started to recognize I'm quite distant to my emotions. I live in my head a lot. And my wife said that a number of times in our marriage before that at times she felt lonely in our marriage because I was in my head a lot. She knew what I thought about stuff, but not how I felt. But anyway, I remember one morning waking up. Sorry, many people can relate to that. Yeah. And that's the thing about men, I think, particularly just, you know, I like to try and get them out of their head and connect to their partners. And yes. if I work with most of my clients are women, I work with them as a couple at times mm. to help them have that kind of connection in that way. But I remember waking up one morning and said to my wife, I need to go on a silent retreat for five days, just be on my own. And she yeah. thought I was completely mad because I've never done that before in my life. Like, is I, that something thought, you've done no. what is it? I've never done anything like that before, No. And, but it was interesting. It's the first time I had a real sense of wisdom, a real sense, mm. no, this is the right thing. I didn't feel I was mad because in a sense, I knowing that I just, need, I just need this. I just yeah. need this. It felt quite scary in a way because I didn't know what was going to come up. I've never been in that kind of environment before. I've done kind of short kind of couple of hours kind of meditation and retreat type things, and, you know, but not five days sustained. I just yeah. had a real sense I knew exactly what I needed, that I didn't want much input. I just need to be left and just allow whatever to come up. I had a real sense I was running away from my thoughts and my feelings. I was scared of them in some way. And yeah. stuff from childhood. There's lots of stuff from childhood that I just thought I was okay with. And in large, I was, but clearly in some sense I wasn't. And clearly I wasn't allowing myself to feel the grief of infertility. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up, cut a long story short, you know, um, living in a, in a convent and it was a bunch of nuns for five days. It's the most amazing, wonderful experience. A bunch of elderly eccentric nuns. Um, 
and it just just that I just had space just to be no no internet no laptop no computer no work no phone nothing just just me and allow come up come up and it was quite an amazing amazing psychological experience and and lots of little things kind of happened I don't believe in coincidences but like at one point I had a little baby rabbit thrust in my hands of being attacked by a cat and and the nun said, can you deal with this? My first response was annoyance that I've been, you know, my, my peace had been being disturbed as it were and didn't know what to do with it. And I started crying, looking at this rabbit, thinking it's going to die. I know it's anthropomorphism putting human emotions onto an, an animal, but I thought I didn't want this baby rabbit to die alone, thinking it wasn't loved. And I started sobbing and I realised, actually, I'm crying for me, that deep down I didn't feel loved for who I was. This goes back to childhood stuff and all sorts of stuff. I know my wife loves me, but Palmy was scared of that loss of love, constantly yeah. having to prove myself. And I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And all these emotions came up from childhood. All this stuff kind of came up. And that's when I first had to accept I wasn't happy. That was my moment of realising how I was living life and I wasn't being yeah. true to myself. I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel okay. It was okay. I deserved to, to be happy or create the life I wanted. And that was the catalyst for... Finding this, I call it a place of peace without giving up. Mm. A place of peace of recognizing, okay, I don't have the inspired life I want. I need to create a, a job that doesn't really inspire me. We haven't got children in this, 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 X, Y, and Z. But rather, I feel like a victim. And there's another thing that came up, I recognized how much I felt like a victim in life. Realizing, do you know what? No, I haven't got those things because of me thinking I don't believe it. For me thinking I don't deserve it. For me trying to live the life... I should be living rather than being true to my soul, but I can leave that place and start creating life that really inspires me. Um, so seeing life more as a blank canvas rather than focusing on where I haven't got things. Um, so that was a big turning point for the beginning of Project U, where I resigned from my job and just got myself a therapist and coach and started to mm-hmm. understand what it means to, to live what I call life, what I call now inside out, knowing that it's okay to, to be happy and do what you want and don't have to take on commitments because I think I should. It's, yeah, it was a whole new kind of outlook on life that felt exciting at the time. And for the first time, here's the thing, that's the place I like to get to my clients, a place of knowing they're going to be okay whatever happens mm-hmm. and truly believe they can create a life that inspires them with or without children. And suddenly having children became a desire rather than a need, unconscious desire rather than conscious need. We still explored it. We still went to the clinic, but it took the pressure off the whole process because suddenly we knew that actually it may not be the life we expect, but actually it can still be an inspired life. It's like the Joseph Campbell quote, which I can't think of off the top of my head. I'm going to butcher it, but you know, you're going to give up the life that you plan to have the life that's opening up in oh. front of you type thing. Yeah. You know, again, letting go of the expectations and head of what we think we need or should have to be happy. Yeah. And in terms of almost like your learning, unlearning, healing kind of process that you went through. The quote that I usually say to people to describe it, like sometimes it's a bit messy, is sometimes you have to break a few eggs to make an omelette. Was it it was it linear? No, it was very much that kind of you've got to break a few eggs. It was wasn't linear and it's a bit messy at times. And it was always if I could see the food path, I couldn't see where it was going. Yeah. So yeah. And sometimes I, I I use an analogy of when, you try, when you're following your soul, it's like driving in a really thick fog. Mm. You can only see a few feet in front of you, but you can drive hundreds of miles that way. And it felt like that. I just had to just 
it's a breadcrumb with the next breadcrumb, like knowing I had to go on that retreat. That's what I had to do. I had no idea why or what's going to come from it. And it was just following the next breadcrumb, the next breadcrumb. So it didn't feel linear. I guess looking back, I can see a, I can see a through line. I can see how you can join the dots looking back. You can't join the dots looking forward, you know, great Steve Jobs. Mm. But, yes, it felt messy at the time, as it were, or just... Mm just sensing what the next breadcrumb was and trusting that that would lead somewhere good. I feel a little bit like, and I don't know if you feel the same, that as my life has progressed, as, you know, I've had this journey, I've, you know, I've done my own training of a different kind, et cetera, that I now lean in a little bit more to living life a little bit more just breadcrumb to breadcrumb like just waking up how does how do I want to feel in this life right now and not wanting to be a million miles ahead and have everything set in stone I kind of like the like let's roll with this is that how you feel a little bit yeah I do believe that um no one wish a 10-year fertility journey on anyone but I'm really thankful I learned about myself within that journey that obviously I think I believe led me to to be able to be a father, but also I think enabling me to be a better father would have been a happier man. I would have been. I'm not going to be wrong. I'm not perfect by any means, but mm. I do believe I'm far less out of my head and more present, and can live life to the full more now than I was back then. When I was riddled with worry and fear and overthinking stuff, and rather than actually being present to life now. I remember actually distinctly the one memory sticks in mind: being at a dinner with family and but not being there. I was in my head, worrying about something. Yeah, right. So I was there, but wasn't there. So I wasn't actually experiencing it and enjoying it. So I kind of almost, I used to flatline through life. Yeah. Um, now I, I had more highs and lows. Yeah, more highs, but also more lows, as in, as in I have a wider range of emotions. I can get angry, I can get sad, but I don't dwell on it, it comes and it goes. And I can get happy and I can enjoy things far more than I used to. So I have a much wider, wider range of expression of feeling and I guess because I'm more engaged in living life to the more to the full, as it were, than I ever was back then. And less of life kind of just eating away at your soul because <laughs> you let it yeah. all out and, you know, express it and live it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Totally. Rather than yeah, holding on to eating, I just I can express it. Yeah. 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 And like, back then, I remember fusing to marriage. My wife was once an argument with me. I wouldn't have an argument. Don't go there. Don't do that. Don't do that. I don't. Yeah. But now we can have an argument and it, it can be a healthy form of communication. It's like, it's, it's called yeah. being human. Um, yeah. So to any men who are listening, who are like, fuck, this is me. Like, this is what I'm doing. I'm like, and they don't. And for all of the women who are like, I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know how he's feeling. I don't know how he's coping. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the man, the man does, probably doesn't know too much himself Mm. do you have any advice on how we can start to unravel that a little bit more and how we can you know like almost collectively together start the process of healing yeah i think for men i'd say find someone to, to talk about it with and it's okay to talk about it and not to kind of bottle it up. And for me, what I've learned is that, you know, especially in a relationship, you know, masculine and feminine are quite different in a way. We all have masculine and feminine energy within us. Women tend to have more feminine. Men tend to have more, tend to have more masculine. But I think I realised my absence of connection to my emotions or being able to articulate my emotions 
that's that's a feminine part of us, and that's women communicate more emotions than, than, than men. That's why a woman can know there's something wrong with their man, and man say, "No, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine." Women can pick up on the energy of that, and they they, they, have, they, they have this sixth sense; they can pick up on the energy of a man, and often a man is not recognizing it themselves. I think it's my recommend for men is don't be scared of emotions. Learn to to explore your emotions and communicate with emotions because. A, it stops if you bottle them up and that does damage to our body and our, you know, they come out in explosive, unhelpful ways. But I think for me, the glue in a relationship is this emotional understanding where you understand how each other feels in a situation. You may not say agree with the thinking behind the feeling, but you just understand the other person feels understood. Yeah. And men need that as well. Sometimes men need to feel understood and feel heard, that emotion, that feminine emotional part of us. And women may need to learn to do that and men, men need to learn to articulate emotions and also hold space for the feminine emotions it's two-way yeah men may be experiencing infertility one thing i found was this journey is difficult for both couples but don't know where the problem lies it's difficult for both in the couple and no one taught me how to deal with feminine emotion how to yeah. hold space for that and i tried to fix it i tried to make her feel better and that's not what women want they want no. to be heard seen felt and heard and it's about again it's that understanding and learning how to hold space for each other's emotion to articulate how you feel and, and hold space for that, to understand it, not try and fix it, not take it personally, just understand where they're at. And mm. men need to understand where they're at. Sometimes we help to do that. And by talking yeah. to someone, you can help unpack that. And I think as well, like I don't know where I first read something in a book, but it was I found it really powerful still to this day that, you know, we talk about men allowing their emotions and you know like they're not talking to us they're not doing it they're not expressing our emotions but on the same token I do and I really do feel like even at a subconscious level society has also taught us as women to encourage that behavior of not being vulnerable as a man of always keeping it together of always being that so it's almost I feel like as women we also have a part to play in even if we don't verbally, you know, even if it's, you know, in our energy, making sure that we don't see men in any way as less of a man if they are vulnerable and crying and fall apart a little. <laughs> I totally agree. The, the feminine wants to lean into the masculine. They want a strong masculine they can lean into and trust and value because the masculine creates the container for the feminine to flow. It's like a river. The masculine is the, 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 the river bank and the, the feminine is the flow of energy. The feminine wants a reliable masculine that's solid so they can flow and relax into life more. Mm. They don't want, let's say, part of them wants the man to be able to feel emotion, but part of them doesn't because they want to know it's, it's solid. You know what I mean? It, it can yeah. be sometimes a, the expectation of the feminine, the man sorted and got it solid and is there, yeah. is reliable. But sometimes, you know, we all have emotion. So men have feminine emotion. They need to expect to express that. And sometimes yeah. women need to hold space for that. Like they do with their girlfriends, they need to do that for their man. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, and I'm so glad actually that we talked about that because that's something that I also, you know, massive aha moment that I um, had a couple of years ago. So, Russell, thank you so much for talking to us. Now, before we get to the speed round, I want you to let everybody know, and I people reach out to me all the time to say, men and infertility, where do we go? So tell people all the links and all the places that they can go to find you. 
Yeah, okay. To, to, to find me, um, my website is thefertilemind.net, thefertilemind.net, and they can contact me via there. I do, there's a podcast you can, you know, it's called The Fertile Mind. You can find it on the website or just wherever you get your podcasts. I do occasionally have to do episodes purely for men. I think it's good for women to listen to that as well. Um, I've got a book called Conceivable. Again, in there, there's a couple of chapters just for men. So I'm trying to drip feed this a little bit for yeah. men as well. Um, if men are on Facebook, there's a brilliant um, infertility male support group on Facebook. Um, if they can't find it, they can contact me by my website. I'll point them towards that. It's, it's not mine. I'm, I'm in there, but it's a very uh, large uh, Facebook group to show you you're not alone. Um, and I can point them towards other resources if they want. So if you can reach out, I can help point guys, signpost them to, to various resources for men. There's more and more things happening for men, thankfully, as we start to, to have the conversation. And I thank you for having the opportunity to have the conversation about the male perspective because of the infertility world can be quite uh, female-centric. But you obviously work with men and women and oh, yeah. also women <laughs> as well. Yeah. So just to put that yeah, in there. Yeah, I work with men and women, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. And you're are you at The Fertile Mind on Instagram as well? Yes, on Instagram, The Fertile Mind. I'm less active on Instagram, but I'm there. You can contact me via Instagram. So it's The Fertile Mind on Instagram as well. Yeah. So now the big question. Are you ready for my little speed round? I am. I've got a little caveat. The first one made a little bit of explaining, so it may not be so speedy, but I am. <laughs> do you have a favourite quote or affirmation? I do. And it is one thing I learned in my journey from my coaches was the question, how have you created this? Mm. How have you created this? To ask myself when stuff comes up. Because I used to be quite, quite a victim. And it's about taking responsibility. And I want to caveat is, it's not, well, how have you created your infertility? I do believe there's mind boiling. It could be an aspect of your psychology. It's not at all to beat yourself up. It, for me, it's been recognizing we're powerful creators. Yeah. So if I do something, my wife responds, yeah. I judge negatively. Well, how have I created that response from her? And it helps me explore. I'm creating my experience without me knowing it. And if I'm getting a negative response to something or someone, I'm, I'm contributing to that. And it helps me explore my powerful creator. So, yeah, it's, that's the, the essence of it. It's how, how have I created this? That's been a real life-turning point for me to explore that as a question. I love that. Have you got a favourite book that you recommend everyone reads? Yes. Um, a book is apart from mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I often give my clients books, and the books are given depending on them, their situation, their, their, you know, who they are. But they tend to start with the same one. Um, everyone tends to get uh, Somebody Should Have Told Us by Jack Pransky. It's not a very well-known book, but it can be a life-changing book. It's Somebody Should Have Told Us by Jack Pransky. And it helps us see the illusion of our thinking. It helps us see how our thoughts create these illusions in our head. We just tend to believe them. And it helps us to, to notice our thinking, but not go beyond noticing it. Because you can't stop our thinking. It's about changing our relationship with our thinking. And I love the title of the book clicking everyone who you can't see because that's what I fly my flag on you think it's not about whether you think or not it's about what happens with those thoughts okay do you have if you had like one message that you wanted to share with the world it's something you want to scream from the rooftops let everybody know what would it be I hadn't prepared this answer. What came to mind was you're effing awesome. Do you know what I mean? It's the, I want people to see 
the amazing people they are. You know, mm-hmm. I, I live life many years being a, an imposter syndrome, not recognizing who we are. We're, you know, whatever kind of spirituality we have, and I do believe a spiritual being is having a physical experience. You know, we're, you know, God within us, whatever language you want to use, it's, we're amazing humans. I mean, we're dying, diamonds covered up by mud, but we're diamonds. Yeah. We're not the mud. And I just want people to know how freaking awesome they are. Yeah, I love it. Russell, thank you again for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And I know that we'll chat again soon in the future. Thank you again. You're welcome. Before you go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to The Fertility Warriors. And if you'd like to keep the conversation going, you can come and find me at Robin Birkin on Instagram. I share content almost every day. I answer lots of your questions and I love hearing from you at Robin Birkin on my Instagram channel. That's all for me today and I'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye.